Well, I want you to imagine this afternoon that you're sitting at home in your easy chair, just relaxing, taking a break, and all of a sudden God speaks to you. And God says to you, I'm going to grant you one wish. Imagine that. What would you wish for? You know, would it be, uh, you know, man, Lord, I, I'd like to win that mega millions jackpot, you know, that's been piling up lately. Or, or maybe you'd uh, ask for uh, a new house or a, a brand new fishing boat. But if God gave you one wish, what would you ask for? You know, that's a very interesting question because that actually happened to somebody once. The Bible tells the story of King Solomon. And King Solomon one day went into the temple and he made offerings to the Lord and following his gifts to the Lord, God showed up and God said to Solomon, I'm going to grant you one wish. Let's take a look at the story. It's found in the book of 2 Chronicles in the first chapter, verses 6 through 12. Let me read this for us. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and he offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire, And you've not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies. And since you haven't asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I've made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was ever before you had and none after you will have. It's a really incredible story of Solomon asking for God's divine wisdom. And then God went out to to pour out all these blessings on Solomon. Solomon was likely the wisest person who ever lived, having this unique, special wisdom given by God. He went on to lead the nation of Israel into its greatest era of prosperity and expansion. Not only that, but Scripture tells us that Solomon used his divine gifts as an author, a poet, a songwriter, an artist, a theologian, a teacher, a judge, a zoologist, a psychologist, a philosopher, economist, an architect, an engineer. What an incredible life. And all of this, friends, stemmed from the divine wisdom that God had bestowed on Solomon. I wonder what it would be like to have that kind of wisdom, you know? To to have this special supernatural wisdom that comes from the Lord. You know, when I took over as senior pastor here this past year, one of the things I pray for all the time is I ask God for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom as I lead your church. And I've been seeing God begin to give me his wisdom. In fact, just this past week, uh, Chaz, our worship director, and Pastor Justin came into my office, and they were arguing about their budgets for this next year. And they were saying, Jason, we need more money in our budgets. And Justin was saying, no, Chaz, you don't need more money. I need more money in my budget. And, and Chaz said, no, here, we need more money in worship. And they were arguing back and forth. And I just said, Lord, what would Solomon do in this situation? 
And so I said to Chaz and, J- and uh, Justin, I said, well, how about I just cut both your budgets right in half? <laughs> well, that solved the problem right away. They walked out of my office in a hurry. Problem solved. I'm just kidding. They're all good with their budgets. Now, friends, while we may not ever be granted a divine wisdom like Solomon had or experience the expansive wisdom and knowledge that that he was blessed with, God's word does tell us that his divine wisdom is something that all of us should pursue. And today, as we continue our journey through the book of James, we're going to find that James now turns to this very topic, the, the topic of wisdom. And in his ongoing encouragement to us as followers of Jesus Christ, remember James's whole argument so far in this letter has been about a, a true follower of Christ will live out their faith consistently in their everyday lives. We will live out faithfully what we claim to believe. And so now when it comes to the topic of wisdom, James is going to argue that true wisdom will manifest itself in the life of a believer. We need to be pursuing a wise faith. And so we're going to look at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 this morning. It's a short section, but there's a lot of powerful truth in here for us to glean about what it means to pursue a wise faith in our lives. So I want to read this passage for us, and then I'm going to make three observations today uh, about pursuing a wise faith in our lives. Starting in verse 13, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Well, here in our passage today, James has some really important instruction for us on the topic of wisdom. And I want to make three observations from our passage this morning about what it means for us as God's people to pursue a wise faith. And the first thing that we see in our passage this morning, James highlights that authentic faith is going to be marked by wisdom. We see this in verse 13. The first point here in our passage, James notes this morning that authentic faith or a genuine faith is going to be marked by wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Right here at the outset of our passage, James says that wisdom is something that can be seen. It's something that we can show. It bears evidence of its presence. And if we don't see the evidence of it, we probably don't have it. Wisdom is something that can be shown. And specifically, James tells us that wisdom will reveal itself in a good life through deeds done in humility. Now, a lot of people probably wouldn't think of wisdom in this light. In fact, if you were to ask a random sampling of people this morning, what is wisdom? I would bet that many of those people would say that wisdom has to do with knowledge. 
It's about collecting and accumulating a whole bunch of information. We, we think of the, the university professor sitting in his office surrounded by books, and, and he's gained all this knowledge. But friends, that's not wisdom. Wisdom is about more than just collecting knowledge. You see, there are a lot of very smart people in our world who at the same time are still very foolish. By the way, that's where the word sophomore comes from. How many of you uh, here this morning, any sophomores in high school this morning? Do you know the word sophomore is actually a Greek word? It, It means a wise fool. A sophomore is a wise fool. See, why is that? Well, when you get to 10th grade, you've learned quite a bit. But when you're a 10th grader, you also think you know it all. And that makes you a fool. And so that's where the word sophomore comes from. It's a wise fool. Now, now sophomores, I saw some hands go up. Before you think I'm picking on you, okay, just know I love you guys, all right? In fact, uh, I love sophomores. I spent three of the best years of my life in my sophomore year. So (laughs) it's all good. But true wisdom, James says, has to do with how we live. It's about applying knowledge in a way that leads to sound decisions. It's the recognition of knowing something is right and then applying that knowledge consistently. For example, knowledge, okay, knowledge approaches the red light at the intersection, but wisdom applies the brakes, okay? Knowledge understands that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom knows not to put it in the fruit salad, okay? Knowledge can recite the Ten Commandments, but wisdom seeks to apply them and put them into practice in our lives. So you see, friends, the first thing that we need to understand this morning is that wisdom is about action. And for James, an authentic Christian faith is going to be marked by wisdom, It will be a life that consistently applies divine truth to daily living, resulting in a life of good deeds done in humility. Now, you might be thinking, this all seems fairly simple, but James has an important word of caution for us today when it comes to wisdom. You see, like other valuable items in our world, wisdom has a counterfeit. And this morning, James is going to highlight for us that This counterfeit wisdom, this worldly wisdom, it's not of God. See, James wants us to recognize the difference between true wisdom and its counterfeit. And to do this, James says we need to examine the root and the fruit of these two types of wisdom. This leads me to observation number two this morning. You can know true wisdom by its root. You can know true wisdom by its root. Let me read for us again verses 14 through 15, and then verse 17. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. James says here in our passage that there are two kinds of wisdom. One is a counterfeit wisdom. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's of the devil. The other kind of wisdom is true wisdom. It's heavenly wisdom. It's the wisdom that comes from God. 
and understanding the root or origin of these two differing versions of wisdom is crucial because they're characterized by widely divergent lifestyles. And as we're going to see later, they produce very different fruit. The wisdom that James warns us against here is a wisdom that finds its origin in the pit of hell. It's a demonic wisdom. And it's the complete opposite of the wisdom that comes from God. It's a wisdom characterized by envy and selfish ambition. This kind of wisdom fails to trust in God's sovereign plans. It fails to trust in his faithfulness. It fails to be grateful for all the blessings he gives us. Instead, this counterfeit wisdom views life from a very limited and self-centered perspective. It's always asking, what's in it for me? What's going to best advance my interest? What's going to bring me the greatest pleasure? And sadly, this, this satanically inspired wisdom is far too common in our world today. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. Friends, when you think about it, is it not this kind of wisdom that's at the heart of most of our nation's political strife today? Is it not bitter envy and selfish ambition that underlies many of our marital struggles? Is it not this ungodly wisdom that's at the root of the growing cultural erosion we see around us? You see, the wisdom of the world is characterized by bitter envy and selfish ambition. And Satan loves it. He loves it. In opposition to this counterfeit wisdom, stands the wisdom that comes from God. Now, friends, if you don't want to be a person characterized by bitterness and selfishness, you need God's wisdom. And the only way to get God's wisdom is to spend time with him. You need to get close to him. And you need to turn to him in prayer, and you need to meditate upon his word. This is where true wisdom is found. Remember King Solomon, who I shared about earlier this morning. The, the wisest person who ever lived. What did King Solomon have to say about this matter? Well, take a look at what Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 2. Solomon says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as if it was hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair and every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. See, friends, Solomon understood more than anyone who's ever lived that only God can give us the true wisdom that we need. And and this is why James tells us humility is a central mark of a truly wise person. Because to receive God's wisdom, we need to humble ourselves before him. There's no other way. We need to abandon our bitter envy. We need to abandon our selfish ambition. And we need to humble ourselves before God. 
And when we turn to God in humility, that's when our lives will begin to show the characteristics of true wisdom. The true wisdom that James describes in verse 17. He says the true wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Friends, what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of wisdom do you want your life to be characterized by? Bitter envy and selfish ambition? Or do you want your life to be characterized by the kind of wisdom that is pure and produces good fruit? I mean, you know, when you think about those kinds of people, who do you want to be? No one likes the the bitter, envious, selfish person. People like that are very ugly people. But a person who bears the marks of godly wisdom in their lives, that's an attractive person. That's a person that pours out the hope that comes from walking with the Lord. Now, not only are these two kinds of wisdom marked by vastly different character traits and lifestyles, but James goes on to show us that they produce dramatically different kinds of fruit. And this leads me to observation number three this morning. You can know true wisdom by its fruit. What is the fruit of these two types of wisdom? In verse 16, James tells us the fruit of this worldly wisdom, this counterfeit wisdom. He says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But on the other hand, the fruit of the life characterized by godly wisdom. Verse 18 tells us, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. The fruit of godly wisdom produces a harvest of righteousness, a life of peace, a life of relational wholeness that bears fruit in righteousness. Quite a difference. James tells us this enemy's counterfeit wisdom produces disorder in every evil practice. Now, I want you to think about this this morning. Have you ever met someone whose life is characterized by bitter envy and selfish ambition? Do you have somebody in mind? Now, friends, if you've ever met that person, I guarantee you, what you're going to find in that person's wake is you're going to find a, a trail of disorder, of evil deeds, of completely rotten fruit. See, that's just the reality of where bitterness and envy lead, the the wisdom of the world. And when it comes to wisdom, James is very clear, a rotten root is going to produce rotten fruit. So again, what kind of wisdom do we want to pursue in our lives? You know, I I think of some very tragic examples of, of this worldly wisdom that we've seen even just in this past year. How many of you remember the, the name Dr. Larry Nasser? He was the the chief doctor of the U.S. gymnastics team for over 20 years. He's now serving life in prison today because it was discovered that he had abused over 250 young girls. Bitter envy, selfish ambition, that's its fruit. I, I think of individuals like Harvey Weinstein, the famous Hollywood producer, made some of the most popular movies over the last 30 years. And now he's standing trial for having abused over 80 movie stars, all in pursuit of his own selfish ambition. He's left a wake of devastation behind him. 
See, this is the fruit of this, friends. But, but understand this, this kind of behavior isn't limited to the rich and famous. The fruit of bitter envy and selfish ambition can affect all of us. We're all at risk, friends. We're at risk in our marriages. We're at risk in our church. We're at risk in any of our daily relationships. Bitter envy and selfish ambition, if allowed to take root in our lives, always leads to disorder and brokenness. And so we need to be on guard. I I, I saw a sad example of this just yesterday. I've been coaching my daughter's softball team this summer. Pat Larson and I have been coaching together. Last year, we had our year-end tournament. Before one of our games, I noticed that the young lady who was coaching the team we were playing, she's a college-age young lady, and and I had gotten to know her over this uh, summer playing against their team a couple times. I noticed she was at her bench crying. And and so I wondered if she had gotten hurt, and so I went up to talk to her, and I asked her what was wrong, and, and another parent came up and said, she had just been yelled at and berated by some of the parents on their team. I said, what happened? And they said, well, some of the parents didn't like the way she was playing their girls. They thought their girls needed to be playing certain positions and needed different playing time, and and she was putting the wrong girls in the wrong... And so these parents, a group of parents, stood there in front of the whole group of 11- and 12-year-old girls and demeaned this young lady who was a volunteer coach just doing her best. That's the fruit, friends, of bitter envy and selfish ambition. And it can affect us all, even when it comes to youth sports. It was so sad. I talked to a parent on that team later in the day. I said, how are you guys doing? He said that that episode, he he literally said it just ruined our team's whole day. Just took the wind out of all their sails. I mean, how are they going to play when their parents are yelling at their coach right in front of them? But see, that's what bitterness does. That's what envy does. That's what selfish ambition does. It it just leaves a wake of disorder and broken relationships and every evil practice behind it. But standing in stark contrast to this fruit of, of counterfeit worldly wisdom is the fruit that's produced by heavenly wisdom. Again, in verse 18, James says, peacemakers, peacemakers who sow in peace, Raise a harvest of righteousness. That's the fruit of godly wisdom. While worldly wisdom produces strife and disorder, the wisdom that comes from God leads to harmony and peace in our relationships. And more than just that, James tells us it produces a harvest of righteousness. In other words, the life that's characterized by godly wisdom will appear so attractive and so compelling that others are going to be drawn to it. And more than drawn to it, they're going to be drawn to God through it. That's the harvest of righteousness that godly wisdom produces. Friends, you know what comes to mind for me as I, as I was thinking about this godly wisdom this week? Thinking about the fruit of godly wisdom? I, the, the example that kept coming back to my mind was our church. Lakes Free Church. Now, now here's the thing. I know we're a room full of broken, messy people. None of us here is perfect. We all have our rough edges where God is still working. And this is by far from a perfect church. But I will tell you something, friends. What God has done in this place over the last 33 years It's truly miraculous. It's truly miraculous. We can't take it for granted. And and, and the reason we have seen by God's grace, his blessing and the fruit 
of righteousness here is because this church has been marked by men and women in pursuit of godly wisdom. We've seen the fruit of that. And the fruit is evident all around us. I mean, just think about this. This church started as a group of 14 families 33 years ago. And now today, in the middle of the summer, we're going to have over 600 people here worshiping with us. I think of the fact that we just went through a pastoral transition this year. That was something that was an event of joy and celebration. I think of the fact we have Pastor Rick sitting out here still today in our fellowship as a fellow brother supporting the new pastor. I think of the fact that he served here for 32 years joyfully and with the full support of our church. Friends, do you know how rare that is? Uh, We're talking like 1% of all churches in existence in America that have that kind of an experience. How does that happen? It happens because you have godly men and women pursuing divine wisdom, seeking to live that out consistently in their lives, and the fruit of that is evidenced all around us. That's how it happens. Okay? Again, we are not perfect, and we need to humble ourselves and always pursue God's wisdom because we are always at risk of falling prey to the counterfeit wisdom of the world. But as long as we pursue God's divine wisdom, we will continue to see this fruit be borne out. We've seen 50 people, almost 50 people over the last 33 years who have been raised up from our church, sent out into full-time Christian ministry as missionaries, pastors, parachurch workers. We've seen hundreds of people come to faith in Christ through the influences of our church's ministries. We have hundreds of faithful volunteers who serve here throughout the year. Friends, where else does that happen? Where else can you find an organization in our community that has hundreds of people volunteering their time, freely giving their money in support of a common cause? We can't take for granted what God is doing here. This is truly a miraculous thing. Now, I share all this, friends, not that we might become prideful about our church, but I share this to affirm the truth in our passage this morning, that when we seek godly wisdom, it will produce a harvest of righteousness. It will produce a heavenly harvest. That's the fruit of godly wisdom. Now, I want to leave you with three questions of application this morning. Okay, how how do we apply this to our lives? Let, Let me just ask you three questions. Okay, number one, what kind of wisdom is evident in your life today? You know, if you're willing to do an honest self examination, okay, what kind of wisdom is your life characterized by? Are you more prone to to this bitter envy and selfish ambition that is characteristic of worldly wisdom? Or is your life marked by the characteristics of godly wisdom, of purity, of submissiveness, of peace-loving, of consideration, of mercy, good fruit, impartiality, sincerity, right? Is that the fruit of your life? Or is it the fruit that comes from worldly wisdom? See, if it's worldly wisdom, here's the deal. You need help this morning. That's just, that's just the honest truth about it. You need help. But I'll also tell you this, you're not without hope. See, there's a lot of people that walk the path of worldly wisdom for a long time, and and they finally get to the point where they realize this path doesn't work. It just leaves devastation behind it. And they get to the point where they realize it's time to pursue God's wisdom. 
And you know what? God can do a work and change your heart. This whole room's full of people who've seen the truth of that fact. Second question this morning, what kind of wisdom do you desire in your life? You know, what kind of wisdom do you want to bear evidence in your life? If it's the wisdom of the world, here's the deal. You don't really need to do anything this morning. Okay? I mean, just keep living for yourself. Just keep pursuing your own selfish ambitions. And then come back and see me in about a year and tell me how that's going for you. All right? You you don't even need to come back. I'm no prophet, but I can tell you what you're going to share with me. You're going to say, you know what? My life's pretty miserable. I don't got a lot of people that really enjoy being around me. I don't have any real solid, healthy relationships in my life. In fact, most of my relationships I've wrecked and damaged. So if you want that, go for it. Have fun. But if you want the wisdom of God, you need to humble yourself and you need to get close to him. There's no other way. How do you do that? You do it through prayer and you do it by spending time in God's word. Remember what James told us back in James 1 verse 5, all the way back our first week in our series, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. If you want godly wisdom, if you need godly wisdom, seek the Lord. He is faithful. He'll give you his wisdom. That's his promise. You can take it to the bank. So we go to the Lord in prayer, and then secondly, we spend time with the Lord in his word. We need to spend time and get close to him and and hear the instruction that he has for us, the guidance that he has for us. King David in Psalm 119, 105, he reminds us, your word, Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. You know what? If you're lost in the darkness, if the power goes out at home in one of our summertime storms, what do you do? You go and you find a flashlight, right? Why? Because that flashlight is a light unto your path and it guides your steps. And the Bible is the very same thing for our lives. It leads us, it guides us, it gives us direction. It helps us to navigate and it comes from our Heavenly Father. Lastly, and most importantly this morning, I need to ask you, what kind of wisdom have you exercised in response to the gospel? You see, it all begins right here on this question. See, you can't ever have godly divine wisdom unless you first have a relationship with God in your heart. That's really the key, where it all begins. See, earthly wisdom makes no response to the gospel. Earthly wisdom... The gospel, the good news, the fact that God exists and wants a relationship with you and he can forgive you. Earthly wisdom says that's foolishness. In fact, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. A lot of people in our world would look at what you're doing here on Sunday morning, coming to church for an hour, two hours. What a bunch of fools. But you know what? The Bible says they're perishing. They're perishing, and they're the real fools because they don't know that there's a God who loves them, who offers them a path that leads to life and hope. True wisdom receives the gospel with joy and obedience. Like my friend Mike over here, who came into my office after last Sunday's message and just says, Jason, I need to talk to you. God's been doing a work in my heart. I know I've been walking the wrong path. I need to get my life straightened out. And we went through a number of Bible verses together, verses like 1 John 1, 9, 
where the Bible tells us if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And friends, that's an option available to any one of us here. If we'll simply turn to God in humility and confess our sins, acknowledging our need for him and his forgiveness, he will do a good work. He'll do a work of transformation and create new life within us. So how have you responded to the gospel? in worldly wisdom or in the wisdom that comes from God. See, that's what matters most this morning. When you respond to God by faith and you allow him to come into your heart and he leads you and he guides you, that's the first step to walking the path that leads to godly wisdom. For those of you who are followers of Jesus already this morning, seek the Lord in prayer. Stay in his word and your life will begin to be more and more marked by the characteristics of godly wisdom. So what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of church do we want to continue to be? I pray that we choose wisely. Let's close in a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this important word from the book of James this morning. It's a challenging word, but it's a hugely important word for us to hear. And Lord, I thank you that you offer us your divine wisdom to lead and guide us in life. It's a wisdom that leads to wholeness and and relational fullness and unity. It's a a wisdom that leads to beauty and joy and love. And God, help us to pursue your wisdom faithfully. The counterfeit wisdom that that seeks to live for itself, that seeks to to gain what we can and take every advantage that we can and pursue our own selfish interests, oh, that wisdom is so tempting and attractive at times. God, help us recognize the lies of worldly wisdom when they come across our paths and help us run towards your truth in prayer and in the word. May we pursue you, Lord, with humility seeking your godly wisdom that leads to life and life abundantly. Would you protect our church, Lord? Would you protect our marriages? Would you protect our relationships? Help our lives to be characterized by your godly wisdom and the beautiful fruit that it produces. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we conclude our service this morning, I just want to remind you, if you'd like prayer, our elders and Stephen ministers will be here at the front of the sanctuary. And I leave you now with these words from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, friends.